Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to the jobs they really love. So in addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book out there called Get a Job Without Going Crazy, and you can find that on Amazon. But today, my guest is Jen Koken, who is going to speak to us a little bit more about imposter syndrome. So I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself in just a moment. Uh, For those of you who are new to our show, our purpose is to explore and kind of redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X millennials and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So every show we explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're gonna talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top-rated career coaches. We focus on the practical tools for your job search, including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website, which is personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com, or you know, you can just Google it. So hi, Jen. How are you doing today? I'm good, Donna. How are you? Good, good. So world is feels like it's settling down from COVID a little bit, but that also means business opportunities are opening back up. Yep, yep. And I mean, I, you know, I've heard, I heard in Denver, Pinnacle Insurance is not reoccupying their building till January 1. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting, you know, and Facebook has let everybody work virtually from now on. There's, there'll be a space in the office if people want it. But I, I feel like it's just time for companies to really embrace virtual, the virtual workforce in a way they haven't before and also be attuned to what people's needs are, which I think is all a good thing. But we all still don't know, mm-hmm. right? We still don't actually know. So I think it's still time for people, hard for people to plan right now. Right. Yeah. So Jen, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Cause you're an executive coach it was a little bit different than a career coach. Yeah. So um, I don't coach people on their careers, like finding a job or finding the right job for them or anything like that. I would be the person who, if you're at the C-suite level, once you got into that job, or maybe you're right below the C-suite level, I would be coaching those people. So for example, I find uh, and I and my mission is to help people make the difference they want to make. Now, what I say on my website is I'm the executive coach for badass boss ladies who want to grab snarling dogs by the ears, jump over obstacles, and smash hurdles, which I kind of like. But it still doesn't say, well, what do you do? Well, my job is to empower you to make the difference you're here to make. And oftentimes, and I know we're going to talk about imposter syndrome today, Oftentimes what I find is the higher up that you go, the bigger the imposter syndrome, the more doubts Mm. you have, the more worry you have that you're going to be found out that some you are fraudulently put in that position. I also find that the higher up in the food chain you go, the less opportunity you really have to have any confidence. Mm. And so my job is to be that confidant, that sounding board for a CEO or a COO to help them navigate some new waters when they've just gotten into the job or maybe they've been at that level and feel stuck or stopped or just kind of lost their mojo. I help them rekindle the passion for what they're up to at work. Right. Right. And I, I also noticed, you know, when we spoke before that you concentrate on a long-term relationship for like a six to 12 month process Mm -hmm. to, to really build the trust and be able to be that confident. Right. 
Yeah, I think that's important because I, I was just on with somebody earlier, you know, originally I would do like a three month package. Mm-hmm. What I found was we would have amazing breakthroughs um, because I use an assessment called Clifton Strengths. I don't know if you do that with your mm-hmm. career. Coach. Yeah, also known as Strengths Finder by many people. Yeah. Exactly. Also known as Strengths Finder. That's the assessment I use with people because I find it's just really revealing about what they're naturally talented at. And often I can solve communication issues if I'm doing Strengths Finder with the CEO and the rest of their executive team, or sometimes I'll go in, well, I don't go in anymore, but you know, I'll do virtual, we'll do an assessment for the entire team and then look at the team grid and how they actually relate to one another. So using that assessment, I would find people were naturally kind of in the hum of things at three months and I'd kick them out of the nest and month four, there'd be some breakdown. There'd be right. something we didn't talk about. There'd be some nuance and we were right back at it again. And so now what I said was, well, if the arc is three months, we then want to make sure that whatever limiting beliefs we've identified, we've then created new practices for you to break through those each and every time. But we probably haven't figured out every single scenario where you get triggered and where your um, anxiety comes in or your impatience comes in or your doubting yourself comes in. So when we have that six month or 12 month arc, we're able to uh, navigate many more hills and bumps. We're able to practice these tools. We're able to look to see, all right, maybe a a new practice is, uh, Donna, if I was coaching you and you said to me, well, you know, Jen, it's a new team and uh, we really want to learn how to build more trust within the team. Okay, well, let's Donna, talk about the differentiation between what I call personal and private. You want to create personal relationships. You don't have to reveal all the private details. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just going through this divorce. You don't have to talk about the fight that you and your soon-to-be ex just got in, no holds barred, you know? What I say to people, even on Zoom, is just ask people to give a thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumbs down. How's it going? Mm -hmm. That simple thing. People don't have to say anything more but you can follow up with the people who are thumb sideways or thumbs down and find out from them what they're dealing with. You know, they then know that you're empathetic and that one small shift can change how people um, feel like how people relate to each other in the organization. But maybe we come to find out that using that initially was fine, but now people are going through the motions. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what's the new practice? Let's take it to the next level. So what's another question we could ask? Or uh, people might need to have tough conversations. Giving feedback is really tough. There's lots of classes out there, but nobody's there to role play every scenario with you. So I do that with my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people are never trained how to listen. What'd you say? No. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) What's that? I mean, you can major in communications in college, or be a communications director, but it's also about outward, always about outward communication. It's not, well, how are you listening? And what are the viewpoints you may have that are all rooted in StrengthsFinder, by the way? And then, you know, once we're through that, then it's also reflecting on the last month. Well, how'd it go? What worked and didn't? What are you liking about your leadership? What do you want to leave behind? Let's go to the next month. So I think coming up with that routine, you're really ingraining those new habits and patterns over that longer cycle. Right. So uh, for those of you, anybody who hasn't heard of it before, how would you really define imposter syndrome? Yeah, it's, it's so, um, 
Suzanne Imes and Pauline Clance coined the term initially in the 70s. And how they, uh, what they say, their definition is it's a, an experience of high achievers who often have feelings of feeling like a fraud. That's, and, and the thing of it is, Albert Einstein has been quoted about this saying he is really concerned back in his day that people were going to notice that he really wasn't as smart mm. as he came across. Albert Einstein. Uh, Maya Angelou has been quoted to say, you know, even with 11 books under my belt, I'm waiting for somebody to say, honey, it was all a joke Mm. and we we don't like you or your books anymore. So it's amazing the, the high achievers that are out there, but everybody has a degree of imposter syndrome. Another way I say it is it's like, it's doubts and questions when you find yourself and it's usually negative and reactive. So as you doubting yourself, questioning yourself. What's interesting is in the beginning, Donna, Clance and Imes thought it would mostly was with females. Right. Because men have more testosterone and that's the confidence hormone. But in fact, now what we find is men as much as women uh, um, experience imposter syndrome. They just don't talk about it. Ah. Do you think this might might lead to like somebody kind of doubling down in narcissistic behavior, even if they're not a narcissist, just to kind of like cover their butts so that other people don't see these doubts that they're having internally? That is very, that, that definitely could be. I just came across a Harvard, um, sorry, American Psychological Association study. It's like a 47 page study. I haven't had a chance to dig into it, but that's something that these researchers talked about was that kind of behavior where on one end you're a perfectionist and the other end, it's all about you because you're trying to save your butt, because even if you're a, so um, perfectionism is one of the kind of characteristics of being an imposter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Valerie Young did some work in the, so her thesis was about imposter syndrome. She was struck by Clance and Imes when she was in school in the seventies. Fast forward, she did a Ted talk. And I want to say either uh, 2006 or it might've been 2015, somewhere in that arena where she identified five types of imposters, the perfectionist, Mm. which could have the doubling down of narcissistic tendencies, because even if you achieve, you're never satisfied because it's got to be better. It's got to be better. Right. Because you always see the flaws. Yeah, exactly. Because you, because first you set impossibly high goals for yourself Mm -hmm. and then you're ticked off if you miss it even by an inch Mm -hmm. and then you diminish yourself. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then another one is uh, the natural genius. You know, this was, and you might hear, it's not like you're one, you could hear yourself in a variety of them. So that was me as a kid. I was always told I was smarter than the other kids in the class. I uh, skipped second grade. I graduated high school when I was 16. As a natural genius, you think everything should be easy. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you have a tendency not to want to try new things. At least I have, and I could see myself in this tendency not to want to try new things unless I knew I was going to be good at it and it was going to happen naturally. Mm. Like I shouldn't have to work for things. It should just happen naturally, which is not the case with anything when we're learning it new. I mean, some of us have gift of music. I don't. If I wanted to learn that, I'd have to study piano, you know, but I can't assume that just because I have a gift at music means I'm then going to have a gift at being a great CEO and I'm then going to have to be, you know, have, that should be coming easy all the time. Uh, a third one is the soloist person mm-hmm. who's got to do it by themselves. Oh yeah. Nobody was going to get this right or I'll have to go back through and fix their stuff. And yeah. Exactly. You don't like delegating. Mm-hmm. You also are a micromanager because you want to make sure that it's done right the first time you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, there's also the superwoman or superman. You're the one who stays the latest at the office because part of it is you feel like you, you have so much doubt in yourself. If you just show people, you know, how much you're committed to this, uh, you know, then, then, then somehow people will think well of you. And you've also got to, you, you can't even have downtime. So the weekends, right. we don't take time for you. And if you're familiar with strengths finder and familiar with achiever in strengths, the people love crossing things off their list all the time. This is a hallmark, I would think, of a superman or woman that you've got to, you can't have downtime that way either. Mm -hmm. And then I know I'm forgetting the fifth one right now. I think it's the rugged, the rugged individualist that they, they know the way and they know the way to go. So it's not just that they're doing it by themselves, but they are heading that way and that is the way it's going to be and damn the torpedoes. Right. I think, I think one statement that I heard from a client of mine that kind of plays into one of those styles that you just mentioned is uh, she said to me a belief that she held that if she wasn't working, she did not have value. Yep. And for somebody who's been laid off, it's not just they lost a job. It's not just they lost income. They lost their identity and now they don't know what to do with themselves. It's very damaging. Yeah, very disconcerting. I, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this phrase, ikigai. I've, no, I don't think I have. Mm. So it's a Japanese phrase, I-K-I-G-A-I. And I heard about it through a meditation app mm. that I use. And ikigai is the intersection. And, and once I say this, you'll be like, that's what I do with my clients. I promise you. What you're good at. Mm -hmm. what you're passionate about, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for. Oh, yeah, I have heard this. I just didn't remember the, uh, the word. Yep. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if people are able to find their reason for being their ikigai, they're very happy. So while the people that you're talking with who they find their worth in working and they've been laid off for their job, what I would say is, okay, start looking at, I bet there's something you're really passionate about that you're not doing right now and that you're good at and that the world needs and that you can make money at. And if you were to figure that out, that would be so much more fulfilling than that job that you potentially used to have. And we just got to figure out a way for you to make money mm -hmm. off it. And maybe there's a job description that you don't even know that's out there that all of a sudden, oh, well, during this time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after some skills so I can go apply for that job because I need certain certifications let's say, or, you know, CAD drawing, or I don't know, something like that. But in mm -hmm. Japan, they say that's why people live so long is they have their ikigai. That makes perfect sense. It does. Yeah. So when you're working with someone on the imposter syndrome issue, kind of like what's your first plan of attack to either identify it or sort of put in some actions to help cope with it? Yeah. So um, it's really a four part process. Um, one is if they haven't, so I have a webinar, an online webinar on my website that people can buy and go through themselves with a worksheet. And if they haven't done that, then I take them through on an hour call that process myself where I walk them through the different kinds and they're able to ask questions and identify what kind of resonates with them. And what's interesting is what Dr. Young said was, well, the way to deal with this is you just stop thinking like an imposter. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she had some very good points. She's like, instead of feeling like an imposter for a lifetime, you have an imposter moment. Mm. So she began to do some training around the country for organizations and individuals to be able to identify those 
practices, the only thing is, as you alluded to, it's really easy to be positive when you're thinking positively. But if you're in the midst of some negative cycle or you're in the midst of, you know, there's things that trigger our imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, it's a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. And I do think that all of us have three or five things that happened to us when we were small that are really innocuous things that put imposter syndrome in place. So first, once I'm able to walk you through the different styles and you see it, I take people through a meditation where they can experience that first time they felt like an imposter. Why do I do that? Because positive psychology doesn't necessarily work when you're in the throes of it. What works is actually to feel all the feels and to Mm -hmm. get yourself just feeling angry or sad or whatever it is. That's really important to be able to let that all go because what you resist persists. Mm -hmm. If I then say, okay, I'm feeling angry and I take them through a somatic experience. So I work with them to feel it where it is in their body, et cetera. And then we're able to own those feelings. And in a moment they disappear because you're no longer resisting them. Okay, so we have that first moment. So I'll give you my first moment. I was seven years old and my best friend was Michelle Cookinmaster. She was very petite with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was this tall, chunky Jewish girl with very, very frizzy hair. And she and I liked the same boy. His name was was Keith Burpee. And what you do as a seven-year-old when you like somebody is you chase them around the playground so you can kiss them, of course. Of course. Of course. Mm -hmm. Or you knock him down, you know. And so we were chasing Keith around the playground and he, we knocked him down and, you know, playfully, it was like in a snowbank. And he looked at me and went, ooh, and he looked at Michelle and puckered up. Mm, And in that moment, I thought, I'm never going to be a petite, blonde haired and blue eyed. I am Mm. never going to be that perky, pretty or popular. I'm just going to be the funny Jewish sidekick. Mm -hmm. Well, I do stand up comedy, as you know. I've Mm -hmm. been number two in a lot of organizations. I spent 25 years working on campaigns, getting people elected and pushing other people's agenda. That's all great. None of it is even a problem. You need a good, you know, if you're going to be in charge of something, you want to have a great number two around you. But when you're not at choice about it, then even the successes I had as a number two, if I look at my career, were never never satisfying because I wasn't the one. Mm Mm-hmm. And once I saw that, I could see the moments that got triggered when I felt like I wasn't front and center because I always wanted to be like her, but I had decided I couldn't. So I was like an internal battle with myself. So once we're able to take you through that, once I'm able to take you through that somatic process, we really dial into what was the moment when your brain set out to protect you because it felt threatened. What 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 was the silly little decision you made And now if we look at your life, how is that impacting your whole life? All right, great. Now let's come up with all the other triggers, ways we think it gets triggered. And let's identify some practices, things you can practice in those moments, you know, whether it's deep breathing or taking a step back, you know, or being curious about something instead of making assumptions. And then we work through and you go out and experiment with those practices. We do some reflection, really dial it in. So you have a set of new tools. Mm-hmm. to be able to transform the experience of imposter syndrome in the moment you experience it, instead of having to like put a lid on it and press it down. You know, uh, I like that approach. You know, it's not, we're going to stuff our emotions and just scream serenity now. It's like actually having some, being able to feel it because our emotions are valid. Yes. Emotions are not, you know, 
actions. They don't have to be, but I, I've never been one to suppress things and just say, carry on. And yeah, it doesn't really work. Right. And it's, it's interesting too, Donna, because um, there's a young woman by the name of Lindsay Jacobellis that, that uh, competed in the Winter Olympics in 2006 as a snowboarder in Turin. And she was in going for gold. She was going to get the gold and coming over the last jump. She like did a little trick with her board and stumbled a little bit. And the person behind her won Hmm. and she came in silver. So fast forward to 2018, I saw this article called the haunting of Lindsay Jacobellis because now she's still competing. She's now 38 or 32 years old. And all reporters can talk to her about is this moment that happened to her when she was 20. Oh Yeah. Yeah. And her coaches were trying to get her all these positive psychology coaches and telling her to forget about it until she hired this performance coach who used to work on Wall Street, mm-hmm. who said, no, you can't resist that. You got to dive into it. Use yeah. that to your advantage. Feel those feelings. Get angry with yourself. Do what you have to do. But see, our body has memory. So every mm-hmm. single cell is memory. So if we're holding, like you said, if we're holding onto the anger, holding onto that negativity, our body is going to remember. As soon as you're able to release it in some way, there's a whole new space that opens up where you can really be at choice about what you, what you want, what your next action is going to be. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. So uh, we're starting to get a little bit short on time, but now we come to my favorite part of the show and I didn't get a chance to ask you ahead of time. So Jen, do you have any tattoos? I have one tattoo. Yay. What have you got? So it took me for, you know, I wanted a tattoo as, as far back as I can remember. And I used to follow the Grateful Dead. And I always wanted a ring of roses around my belly button. But then I thought mm. if I got pregnant, it'd be a ring of roses. <laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> and then I wanted to get something in my lower back until people start calling it a tramp stamp. And I couldn't do that. So anyway, fast forward, I'm at a, a retreat, a spiritual retreat, and we had just finished a shamanic breathwork exercise. And I had this vision of the goddess Ishel, hmm. who her and her husband gave birth to all the other Mayan gods and goddesses, and she was the goddess of water. And I had this vision in my head, and so I actually drew out, and did a little research, drew out my interpretation of the goddess Ishel, and I had had this vision of her guarding these gates. And how I interpreted it was, well, she's guarding the gates of heaven. Mm-hmm. And saying to people, don't let hate in because I'm going to transform it. If you come at me with your hate, I'm going to transform it into love. And that's all that we want to have in the world is love. So, and she's, she's on my back. She's in the middle of my back. So she's guarding my back. Mm-hmm. It's really me guarding my back. And it's a sort of like head of a cheetah with, uh, or head of a dragon with the body of a cheetah with claws like a dragon with a serp. And she's pregnant with mm-hmm. love in her belly mm-hmm. carrying like a, a, a spear and then she has a snake on her head with one, I don't know what you would call it, like claw hand stretched out in front of these beautiful gates. I did the drawing of her and the tattoo artist did the gates kind of in the heavens and the clouds. So it's, it was the most painful thing I've ever done in my entire life. It was like- Sounds like a big piece too. It's a big piece. And I was growling toward the end of it because I couldn't handle the pain and people in the shop were yelling at me. And, and uh, Jay was like, don't worry about it. Just ignore them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well it goes along with the you know dragon cheetah growling it all makes sense it's it part of the process sense. exactly well that's very cool so jen how can people get a hold of you oh wow so um i try to make it easy they can go to my website 
jenkoken.com. And thank you for asking, Donna. Mm-hmm. J-E-N-C-O-K-E-N.com. Uh, I always offer people a 30-minute co- free coaching call with me. I uh, want to provide you some value and transform a person's life. And if you want to talk about working with me, we can or not. And then that's on, uh, you could go to find it on my page where it will say like book a call. And if people are interested in this webinar on imposter syndrome, across the top, there's something that says programs and they can find it there. And you can also find me on LinkedIn under Jen Koken, Instagram, Jen Koken, Facebook, Jen Koken. And if you want to send me an email, it's Jen at jenkoken.com. That's nice and simple. It's not like my ridiculously long website. (laughs) I think it'd be shorter if you just described the bit.ly link. Yeah. Large C underscore two Y S L 17 four. Yeah. That might work. That might work. Yeah. Anyways. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. My name is Donna Shannon. This has been uh, tattooed freaks in business suits. As my producer always reminds me, uh, if you liked what you heard today, give us a like, follow us. If you didn't like it, keep it to yourself. All right. So thank you very much. And we'll see y'all next time. Bye.